Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining us for the 539 Church Podcast. 539 is a church in Goodyear Heights seeking to invite people into Jesus's family. If you're in the Northeast Ohio area, we'd love to have you join us for one of our Sunday morning gatherings. For more information about us, including our service times, address, and live stream information, please go to 539.church or look us up on Facebook or Instagram. If I have not had the chance to meet you, my name is Mike. I serve as one of the pastors here. I want to thank you for being with us um, this morning. If you're new, if this is your first time, please find myself or Ryan or one of us afterwards. would love to hear your story about how you got here uh, to 539. A few announcements before we jump into this morning. If you're new uh, or you've been coming but you've yet to really let us know that you are here, in front of you is what we call a Next Steps card. Uh, If you would like to receive emails, see what's going on around here, or for us to pray for you or follow up, uh, would you fill that out for us and place it in the box to my left uh, here after service? That is a great way for us to get connected with you and how we can pray for you. Um, uh, After service today, what we have is what's called a serve team fair, uh, meaning we need some help around here. We need a few hands Uh, people who are willing to serve. And so when you leave today uh, by the community and uh, welcome team bar and by both coffee bars, uh, there's going to be someone there uh, with one of these flyers. And we're asking that you would prayerfully consider uh, serving on one of our teams. We have around 25-ish slots (laughs) that we need to fill uh, here. Uh, There's the list of ministries. So if you've been coming and you're like, hey, I would like to make the next step uh, in calling this my church home, that would help us out a ton if you'd pray about that. And then lastly, uh, if you are on our serve team, next Sunday night at 5.30, you received an email uh, saying that we're going to have a serve team, really appreciation night, where we're going to have dinner together, talk through some things. So would you uh, please let us know if you're coming? Uh, We'll send some more things out this week. So if you sign up today, you'll still see that for next Sunday night at 5.30. Uh, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to jump into the word together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you that we get to be here and just to sing praises to you. God, it's so important for us as we come in just to really declare how good you are and who you are. And Jesus, we just pray that during this time, would you speak to us in a very specific and profound way. Would you help us to all eliminate distractions, what's been going on the past couple of weeks? Would we just uh, have a fresh heart and fresh eyes for your word? We pray this in all God's people said, amen. If you have your Bible, would you take it and turn to Philippians chapter 1? is where we're going to be if you're new or uh, new to the Bible. It's all going to be on the screen as well. Uh, but we are week two in really a five-week series going through Philippians chapter and verse. If you're new to that, uh, basically we'll read a little bit and we'll talk and we'll read a little bit and we'll talk kind of through the whole book. Uh, but really, I want you to think for a moment, if you could interview yourself 10 years ago, so think about that, 10 years ago, for some of you, that's when you were 15, some of you, that was 65, some of you, you know, not saying you're old, but either way, 10 years ago, think back to that time, what would you tell yourself? What would you say to you? How would you encourage yourself? How would you challenge yourself? How would you uh, maybe, you know, hey, you know, bring comfort or whatever the case is, what would you say to you? Uh, Would you say things along the lines of like, hey, you should be a little bit more greedy. Hey, COVID is coming. It's going to get kind of tough financially. You should really hang on and hoard all that you can and all the money you can. Would you say, hey, you should probably, probably spend more time on your phone? 
I mean, definitely. You're going to want to spend at least another three hours a day. It's going to come through in a really big way. Um, For some of you, would you say, hey, make sure that you keep all the free time that you have. Don't let anyone suck up the free time that you hope uh, that, you know, you have and keep very precious to you. Would maybe you say, hey, uh, make sure that you argue with your spouse a little bit more because that's going to come through big in 10 years. Make sure you yell at the kids. I'm being sarcastic. I hope you're getting that. Uh, make sure you yell at the kids or kick the dog or whatever. Don't kick your dog. But either way, make sure uh, you, I, I don't think you should kick a dog. I just said it. But either way, make sure that you do things in, in a way that is just for you, just for yourself. I doubt, I doubt any of those things would be true uh, for yourself or for myself if we were going to ask ourselves or interview ourselves 10 years ago. I bet it would go along the lines of, hey, I wish I just would have been a little more generous. I really don't have that much stuff anyway. I wish I would have been more selfless or served others. I wish I would have been more kind. I wish I, I know for me, um, I would tell myself, hey, you need to relax. You need to chill out. I was so tight and I couldn't, you know, I, didn't, I, just, we gotta, you know, I couldn't trust God, didn't know what to do, right? I would tell myself, hey, you need to breathe right? For some of us, what would you tell yourself? Because here's what's true, uh, I think, for all of us in really the day and age we live. We are, on an average uh, week-to-week basis, being discipled. Um, We are being told, promoted, and it is celebrated and affirmed that you should live for yourself. That the more you live for yourself, the happier you will be, the more you make yourself the center of life, and it's not gonna, not gonna come out and say this, and no one's telling you to do this directly, but it's, hey, when you get all that you want, you will be very happy, and you'll be very pleased, and once you get all your hopes and dreams, then you will be the person that you hope to become. As we are in Philippians, this passage of scripture we're gonna look at today is really reminding us or telling us, for some of us, for the very first time, that our life is not our own. The, the writer of this letter, and that's what Philippians is, he is reminding us, he's telling us, hey, there is a gospel mindset you and I are to have. And we drift from the mindset very often. And as we drift, um, he is trying to pull us back into what is really important or what really will bring us fulfillment. And I'll say it this way as we start out this morning, we give our lives to what we believe will give us the most fulfillment. We don't do this on purpose half the time. We don't even really know we're doing it, uh, but accidentally we'll fall into some traps in our lives. Maybe we'll give our lives to the kids and they'll get all of our hopes and dreams, right? And then your kids will break your heart in a second, right? They were teenagers and it happened, right? Or you'll give your heart, maybe uh, your fulfillment to your spouse. You should love and serve your spouse, but you can't put all your chips in looking for your spouse to be God or maybe your career, unknowingly, it just kind of sucks you in in the vortex of life. And then next thing you know, you're working 70, 80 hours a week, and now you're giving everything for your career. You didn't even know you were doing it. And it just kind of happened to us. Or it's retirement or whatever the case is. And my hope and goal for us today is that we would be reminded or told, maybe for some of you, for the very first time, fulfillment is found in a very, very different place than where we are placing it, where we're placing it. So the first question I have for us today as we jump into this passage is where, where do we get our confidence? Where do we get our confidence? If I, was gonna, if I were to ask you, um, where and who gives you the most confidence? You know, is it someone, some of you love language people, it's like when someone gives you words of affirmation, you just feel all warm inside and you're going to conquer the world. Uh, for some of you, it's when someone serves you or tells you, hey, you're doing a great job 
or maybe it's in a specific person when your spouse or someone in your family, a parent, when they have their life together and they're confident, then you kind of follow their confidence. Have you ever placed your confidence uh, in yourself and it kind of went bad for you? Uh, you kind of fell flat on your face. Uh, I'll just start off with a, a story before we jump into verse 19. Um, I was in kindergarten. I was a very confident young man at ni- at, in kindergarten. I was not 19. It was verse 19. I was confident as a kindergartner. I was probably five. Still was not in kindergarten at 19. Don't remember that. Not this service. Either way, uh, here's what happened. Youngest of five. Youngest of five. So you imagine the mornings of the youngest of five. We would come out, and some of you would remember the old school days where there was like a brown paper bag, right? And you had this brown paper bag. Uh, and, you know, my mom would have uh, lunch out for us, and you could pick and choose what you wanted. She gave us that freedom in the house. I don't know why. It just kind of happened, right? So we would take what we wanted. And as uh, a five or six-year-old young man, bold as ever, you know what I did? I put two things in my uh, lunch bag every single morning. I put Kit Kats and I put cookies. Why? Because that's the most nutritious meal you can ever have. So what I did was I'd put that in the bag and the family's running wild. God bless my mom's heart. She had no idea. So I, I go to school every day and I'd sit down at lunch and then the lunch attendant or lady, whatever they are, uh, after about a week of this happening, they came to me and they said, Michael, the principal would like to see you. And I was like, for what? Uh, You know, and I I mean, it's a Kit Kat cookie. So I come in, and as I walk in the principal's office, they have like this food chart like laid out for me of like nutritious meals. And then they're like, hey, what's been going on at home? And like, I was like, my mom like knows what we should eat and lunch meat and all this stuff. But I was like, I I don't know. So they call my mom. God bless her heart. They pulled her into the meeting and tried to tell my mom, here's what you need to feed your kids. And I was very confident. It just went so bad. I was like, mom, I'm sorry. I let you down, the family down. They think we know meat and we don't. Like, I don't know. Uh, But either way, I had confidence in myself and it went very, very bad because here's what happens. Uh, Funny story or not, when we place confidence in the wrong person, or the wrong place, it can really get us off track. So let's look at verse 19, and we're going to go to verse 21. It says this, For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope, that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If you star, circle, highlight, emoji, whatever, you do verse 21. To live is Christ and to die is gain. This is his perspective. So really the guy who's writing this letter back to this church, if you missed last week, you can catch it on our YouTube or podcast. We talked about in Acts 16 how he started this church and really he's writing from a jail cell and as he is, he is getting his confidence from certain things really that's different from you and I that we look for confidence. Go back to verse 19. He says, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit, um, I'll, I'll be delivered through them through Christ. So here is what he is doing. His confidence... His confidence can't come from our circumstances or ours. It must come from Christ. This is very, very important. He doesn't look toward external things. In 2023 or 2022, you can't look toward your external situations to bring you confidence. We must look toward Christ. He's the only thing that is our firm foundation, the only thing that we can place our hope in or confidence in. It's not when the world is going to go really well. It's not when all of our hopes and dreams come true. It's when we put it in Christ. Because unknowingly, what some of us do, uh, what we would say is not that, for I know through your prayers and the help of the Spirit, we would say, hey, 
I know, some of us, you know, we wouldn't come out and say this, but this is how we feel. I know that through my wisdom, my gifting, my money, I will work this out for my good. I'm in a tough spot, but you know what? I've been there before. I've pulled myself up. My back's been against the wall. I'm self-made. Hey, you know what? I will figure this out. That's not what, where confidence is truly found. That's where it will be stripped from us in all types of ways. So here is what he does, and this is what you and I should do. The prayers of others, or confidence is found in the prayers of others and the help of the Spirit. Because here's what, uh, I'm guilty of this just as much, I think, of most of us. Um, you'll go through a tough situation. You try to figure it out. You try to think about it long enough to where you, you've, you've got a, a handle on it. And then you'll say, hey, there's nothing we can do. At least we can pray. That's the least thing we can do. Instead of saying, hey, right when it happens, hey, we must first pray. How about, how about that? How about we must first pray and we must get the help of others? So, so here is, here's what is true. When someone will ask you, hey, how can I pray for you? What can I do for you? How can I come alongside you? Is the confidence in the fact of, hey, someone else is praying for this. Someone else is praying for our marriage. Someone else is praying for our kids. Someone else is praying for our situation. We're getting confidence in the wrong things of what we can do, what we can do. And really, this is what is the problem for a lot of us. The more experienced we become, the more wisdom we have, and the more self-made we think we are. You see, people are attacking the Apostle Paul as he's in prison. And this is what's crazy about this guy. Okay, so uh, as we talked last week, he was before Jesus, he was finding Christians, killing them, and then throwing them in prison. Uh, He meets Jesus, praise God, shakes all that up, so then he goes out and preaches Jesus, and guess what happens? They throw him in prison. And here's what is true about the Apostle Paul. They would persecute him, meaning they would beat him and tell him not to speak about Jesus anymore. Guess what he says? For the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed to us. They're like, hey, it's not working. Let's throw him in prison. And he'll say, hey, for me to live is Christ. And he'll say, hey, let's kill him. Die is gain. What are you going to do with the guy? Every situation he was in, he said, hey, this is a win-win. You want to know why? Because it's going to advance the name of Jesus. So the question I want us to ask is this. How do we live as though any outcome is a win? How do we, how do we live that way? Because for a lot of us, it's very, very difficult to, re- to leave the results to God, just to leave them to him. Hey, I'm going to be obedient. I'm going to do what God asked me to do. And then aside from that, I'm going to leave the results to him. How do we have this mindset meaning, hey, this is a win-win. If I'm obedient, I'll leave the consequences to God, and I'm going to do whatever he asked me to do. Because having that is saying, hey, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. There's not much more you can say about the verse, right? The verse <laughs> speaks for itself. There's, there's verses uh, that you come across where it's, hey, to live is Christ, to die is gain. You look at that every so often, and you're reminded, hey, my life is not my own. It's God's. It's personal. It's for me. To live is Christ, to die is gain. And we have to look at it just like the Apostle Paul. Hey, no matter what happens to me, this is a win-win. If Jesus is going to be advanced, it's a win-win for others. It's a win-win for myself. It's for my, everyone around me. I'm not focused on myself and what I want life to be. Where do we get our confidence from? We get our confidence when everything is going really well. When someone asks you how life and you just want to say everything is up and to the right. My relationships, my financial situation, my circuit, everything is up and to the right. And now we feel this confidence. And that's not what is happening at all to the writer in this book. Everything is down and to the left for himself, but everything is up and to the right for God. We have to keep that mindset.
Number two, who decides when something is better or best? So how do you decide as a family um, when you decide something's better or best? It's either handles or paths, and the crowd said handles, right? Or it's either Chick-fil-A and canes, and the crowd said it's Chick-fil-A. We're at church, you know. So either way, someone's like canes. Nope. Uh, how, How do you decide when something is better or best? And who gets to decide? Who has the authority when something is actually working out for good and saying, hey, here's what you need to do. Here is something that is better but we have something that's actually best. Let's look at verse 22 to 26. He says, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. This is a very strange passage in the Bible, very strange. He's come, and if you're not careful, you'll read it wrong right away. Go back to the the first uh, 22 to 24. He's saying, my desire is to depart and be with Christ. He is not saying that the decision of life and death is in his hands. The Apostle Paul would know that, hey, if he is going to die, it is in God's hands. It's not a decision you and I get to make or that we have authority over. He's saying, hey, my desire is to depart and be with Christ. And then it comes across kind of weird. Um, He is saying, hey, I would rather be with Jesus than be with you, but you kind of need me. It's kind of weird. Is it better to be with Jesus than some people sometimes? Crowd, amen? Amen. Some of you have been waiting for Jesus to come back. Like every day, you're like, today's the day. And you're just waiting, right? Um, it's better to be with Jesus. Now, here's what is crazy about this. We'll talk about this in twofold. The first one is this. Question for us. Are you confident? Are you confident? Because he writes, he writes as if he is 100%, without a shadow of a doubt, sure that when he dies, he will go to be with Jesus. It says in the Bible, I have written these things to you so that you might know that you have eternal life. God doesn't want you to hope so. He doesn't want you to maybe think so. He doesn't want you to feel so. He doesn't want you because you went to church one time so. Here's what he's saying. There's this confidence that he is talking about the assurance of his eternal life. And some of us, some of us do not live and believe in this eternal security that I'm talking about that the Bible teaches. Uh, You are once, once you are saved in Christ, you are always saved. That we just sang the song, nothing or no one else can pluck you out. You want to know why? Because your salvation does not depend on what you have done. That, That as one pastor put it, if I could lose my salvation, guess what? I would Because if it depended on me, then that is a faulty ground to depend on. You see, um, if you put your faith in Jesus, that he died on the cross and rose from the dead, if that is what my faith is in, his finished work, then I am secure, and the Bible says, says sealed in Christ, that no one or nothing can take you out. So if you're trusting in yourself, trusting in a baptism, trusting in what you've done, trusting how you can muster it up, trusting in what you can work, then it's faulty ground, that there's no salvation in that work. So the question for us is, are you confident? The Bible wants you to be confident. 
God wants you to be sure. Have you believed in Jesus for salvation? Only you can answer that. I was an 18-year-old man. When I first put my faith in Jesus, I had said a prayer a thousand times. I'd walked aisles. I'd said things just in case, but it wasn't because it was genuine in my heart. And God had to reveal that to me, and maybe he does for some of you. Are you confident? Only you can be sure. God wants you to be sure. Second question is this. Are others better? He's saying at the end, he says, hey, I want to come to you and bring you joy and faith. I want to bring this to you, and I want you to be better. By my staying around, I would like your life to be better. How many of you, you have someone in your life, they just suck the life right out of you? Don't raise your hand if you're sitting by them, but you know what I'm talking about. There's, there's people, hand up in the back, just like, uh, they just suck the life out of you. Like, you're around them, and you're just exhausted by seeing them come, and you're like, I need a nap. Um, there are those people. Here's the challenge for us. Don't be that person. Or are there, is there anyone in your life, when they see you, you come on a mission just to encourage Proverbs says there is power, there's life and death and the power of the tongue. So when you come, are others, are others better? Paul says, hey, my involvement in your life and in everyone else's life, I'm here on a mission to make life better for you, to bring joy, it says in verse 26, and faith. I'm here to increase faith. I'm here to encourage. I'm here to send a text. I'm here to write a letter. I'm here to come and encourage and pray for other people. That, that's what he's saying. And so there was a, a study done not too long ago where they took three different uh, age groups. They took kindergartners. All right, here's another kindergarten illustration. It wasn't me, but either way. Took kindergartner, took business school students, and they took CEOs. And they gave them all the same material. They gave them uh, four materials. They gave them a marshmallow, spaghetti tape, and a yard of string. And they said, hey, who can build the tallest structure? They gave them these four things, and they did dozens and dozens of experiments. They said the kindergartners, on average, build a structure 26 inches high. The adults built a structure on average 10 inches high. And they said the reason was is because the adults were concerned with perception and who got the credit. They just argued. They just fought. They said the kindergartners were the only ones that said, hey, they worked shoulder to shoulder and they saw where they could get with the project. For some of us, when we come together, we're not worried about being better. We're worried about ourselves, worried about our story, worried about what we're doing. And oftentimes, really, those who are younger in faith or new to walking with Jesus The mission is others, that really this is what they're after. And for us, the older we get, like I said previously, the more cynical we can become, the more wisdom we think we have, the more experience. And I think God just kind of cuts through all of that. And with the Apostle Paul, we say, to live is Christ and to die is gain. For Paul, being with Jesus was better, but taking Jesus to others was best. For us, what is better and what is best? He said, hey, I can, I can be with Jesus, I would like to. That's better, it's always better with Jesus. But while I'm on this earth, I have a mission. What is best? You wanna know what the best thing is? It's to encourage others. It's to remind others of, hey, circumstances or not, I'm gonna live through this situation and pray that Christ gets the glory. Number three, is what I'm living for worthy, worthy of what Christ died for? I've asked this question probably three different times since the church has started, but this is the one I'm landing on for today, because there is a way that you and I can live, and we need to, as as I read through 27 to 30, we're going to look at, he's not saying perfect, but he's saying progress, 
And he's talking about worthy. And when I read that word, um, I want you to think in a sense of this. There is a, a heavenly citizenship that he's calling us to. So it says in verse 27 to 30, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, which I'll pause for a second. It simply means behave as heavenly citizens. It says in chapter three, verse 20, our citizenship is in heaven, meaning that's your home. That's where you live. That's where you reside. That is where you lay your ground. That some of us get so jammed up. We get so jammed up. We get so confused that we're thinking this is all that we have to live for. That the next day, the next raise, the next relationship, the next thing, that this world, that you don't settle in where you're not supposed to settle in. Some of us, like we would do in our own physical home, we make this earth our home. The challenge here is, hey, walk worthy. We are heavenly citizens. He says this, so that whether I come to see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm. And here's the challenge. In one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for faith of the gospel, not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. So we've talked briefly about walking worthy. Meaning this just means you live a consistent life and you have progress in faith. Last week we talked about how as followers of Jesus, our goal and our aim is not that we will be perfect, it's that we have progress, that we are a work in progress, that we take one step forward, sometimes two steps back, that God will complete what he started in us, that we should walk worthy. And then he says this idea of not only believe in Jesus, but you would suffer for his sake. And this is a clear sign to them of their destruction, meaning this, when you go through a hard season and when there is opposition at play and you don't just believe in Jesus, but you go through it well, that gives a clear sign to others that we are following God, that we don't just believe, but we suffer well. And so here is what he also says, that you strive side by side for the faith of the gospel, meaning that there's this teamwork at play. Uh, some of you have played sports, and if you ever even had sports or a family unit or trying to accomplish anything, and you got people yelling at each other, what are we trying to do? Where are we trying to go? What are we, what's the goal? When there's all of that taking place, you can't accomplish anything of significance. He's saying this, hey, we want to be one team. We want to be one mind. We want to have one spirit. We want to have unity. And when you do that, it says, he says you can face opposition without fear. That we are, you and I truly, are better together. That by yourself, you cannot accomplish all that God wants you to accomplish. You're not smart enough. We're not wise enough. We don't have enough experience. That together as a group, that's why uh, when you came in, I talked about joining our serve teams. Um, I've been praying this whole week. We have, like I said, about 25 slots we need to fill. And some of you, you've been kind of coming. You've been kind of taking in. You'd say, hey, for me... I'd like to take the next step in to serve. Where do I need to fill in? How do I need to help? Where can I use my gifts that I, I wanna live a life that's worthy of the gospel? That I don't just want to consume more, that in 10 years from now, I wanna say, hey, I came to serve and to give my life. And this is truly where it all plays out. Jesus thought we were worth his greatest sacrifice. This is how this plays out. Um, Jesus looks at you and I, um, sees our disobedience, sees God's wrath and judgment meant for you and I. Jesus sees that, 
looks at the father. May I? The father says, you shall. Jesus comes in our place. That God's love, and some of you, you've maybe been to church a thousand times, and you have heard this, but you don't really believe it, you forgot it. God loves you. Some of you need reminded today that God loves you, that he loves you, like with a deep care and emotion and affection, despite our rebellion, despite our hard-heartedness, despite our apathy, despite our not really caring, despite all of that, he has a deep love, and he sees us as worthy of his greatest sacrifice. Therefore, therefore, my life and your life should be worthy of service. You and I, we, our service to God does not earn his love. You and I can't do anything. It's so deep, it's so profound, it's so great. You can't earn his love. You can't put God in a box and make him do what you want him to do. Here, here's what happens. God sees us while we were yet sinners and he sends his son. He dies for us. And as a result of that, we look at it and say, hey, my only right response is to serve him, that he's worthy of it, that my life is meant for God and to follow him and to serve him with all that I have, whatever that looks like. Some of us, it's the day-to-day perspective of saying, hey, I've never really had the mindset to live as Christ to die as gain. I need to start with thinking of that eternal value, living as a heavenly citizen, For some of us, serving for the very first time, saying, hey, I'd like to plug in. I don't want to, in 10 years from now, say I wish I just consume more. I'd like to plug in and get placed where God would have me to be. It says in 2 Corinthians 3.3, I think this gives a better depiction for us to think about what our lives look like. He says, clearly, you are a letter from Christ, showing the result of our ministry among you. This letter is written not with pen and ink, but with the spirit of the living God. It is carved not on tablets of stone, but on human hearts. Because God loves us so much, I'm serving him not because I want to earn it, just because he's good. And my life is a letter, and we'll ask the question this way, is the letter that my life is writing one that I want to be read? In 10 years from now, in 20 years from now, or at your funeral, whatever the case is, is it a letter that I want others to read? That I'll be thankful. It's not perfect. Man, it's messy. It's been crumbled up. It's hard to read. I've got tons of mistakes on there. But is it one that I'm thankful? Man, at least, at least there was progress and it was headed in the direction that my life was God's and not my own. That I was bought with a price. It was A.W. Tozer who said this. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. When you think about God, what pops into your mind? Some of you think very, very mean and judgmental. Some of you think, some of you think anger, some of you think boring, some of you think all this different stuff when really God is, for, for us, as we're going to talk in a second, we'll read, we think sacrifice. We think love. You think patient. How, how patient has God been with you? You think this, this deep care and this him pursuing us despite us and how much of a mess we are, that God loves us. What comes into your mind? And I hope you see that he came for us. Let me read Philippians 2, 5 through 11. It says this, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant. And being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. 
Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You either do this now, you'll confess Jesus as Lord, or you'll do this when you see him face to face. It's going to happen. I believe that the first is the better option. You see, Jesus left his heavenly home so that you could have one. And when he does, he comes for us. Would you guys stand and let me pray for you this morning? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love and grace, God, and for the fact that you came for us. God, I pray if there's anyone in this room, they do not have the confidence. When it comes to their eternal destination, they're so uncertain It's based on a feeling. It's based on emotions and what they've done. I pray that right now that they would call out to you for salvation, that they would put their trust in the work of Jesus. And God, for those of us, maybe we've never really lived our lives as though it was not our own. I pray that you would give us that perspective, Lord. I pray that others would be better because of our involvement. And Lord, we would be here to serve you as our lives are a letter of what you've done in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.